We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Chris. Yo. Should I tell the people about Blue Wire Hustle? Sure. I probably should. You absolutely should. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. It's a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, <coughs> Chris and I, uh, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's about the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So this is a setup plus all the stuff I listed above for only $15 a month. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join, and you can check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Hey, what's up? It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. Chris Biederman will join me in just a moment. It's the 200th episode of Candlestick Chronicles. We'll get into some sappy thank yous later, but we put on an APB for, I think that's the right acronym to use there, for questions. I think it's an initialism, actually. An acronym has to spell a word. APB is an initialism. Uh, I believe that's the proper initialism. Anyways, Chris asked for questions. You guys brought some incredible ones. We will answer them. We will get into some Blue Wire-related news. And I have another TV take I want to get off my chest after uh, riffing on Chopped for a while last week. So uh, buckle up and enjoy. Blue Wire. New England standing QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle, he dives, and he's in! Touchdown, 49ers! Kittle, he's gonna go! Touchdown! Alright Chris, it's the 200th episode, we're having a good time. You have a beer open, I have a scotch cord, and yeah. we're gonna answer some football questions. Yeah, and shout out to, a lot of non-football questions too. Yeah, which is a lot of non-football life. questions. Shout out to Gareth Hunt on Twitter who uh, who implored us to to drink this episode because he enjoyed a previous episode that 
that we were drinking during, and so um, that inspired me to. We're recording this around happy hour anyway, so that inspired me to to treat it as happy hour and have a little have a little fun with it because it's you know it's the end of February. We're not totally into free agency mode yet, um, we'll and we there. will get there. But now is a good time to to enjoy an episode because 200's a lot. And I honestly wouldn't have known if not for you counting. Did you count every single one? How'd you go about this? Well, on the podcast feed, there's a number next to the title. Oh, I see. And so, okay. One off that. All right, got it. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we before we dive in, we have some blue wire related news to announce that that the people may have missed. It's pretty yeah. cool, pretty pretty neato little thing that we. Yeah, um, blue the blue wire network, and shout out to our our guy Kevin Jones, CEO. Love him. Um, the Blue Wire Network is partnering with Wynn Resorts uh, in Las Vegas. It's a pretty sizable investment. They are building a podcast studio at the Wynn Las Vegas Hotel. I think it's going to be somewhere in the lobby. Um, and eventually, I think at some point, you and I will probably record an episode um, live from Vegas. And I know part of the, the agreement is there's going to be more gambling content, sports gambling content. Um, on the network and and um, WinBet is going to be a partner in that. So yeah, really exciting stuff for for the company and um, and exciting stuff I think for the listeners because obviously sports betting is is just an ever growing um, an ever growing sector I guess is is one way to say it and uh, and yeah like it's it's a win for everybody it's a win for it's a win a for win us for obviously us. it's a win for the win. Um, because they'll they'll have our they'll be graced with our presence and us and a lot of other people throughout the network and uh, and the listeners will get a ton of different stuff to to check out. So it's uh it's it's a cool thing. It's it's a really cool thing because you know 200 episodes ago when we were starting we were one of the first um, team centric podcasts on on the entire network and I think yeah. now we're in the 140s yeah. in terms of like number of different podcasts on the network. So. Um, it's just really cool. So shout out to Kevin for all the hard work that he's put into the network, um, all the recruiting he's done, all the building. Um, you know, it's it's really cool. Honestly, like I I was excited about the network, and I know Kevin had had really um, big am, big dreams, big ambitions when when he started this thing, and to see it get to this point, um, I'm proud of him. And uh, and it's it's cool. It's cool for the listeners because they have so much content and. Uh, and I think we're doing a really good job utilizing the space that we have. Like, if you had told me in 2016 when I moved back to the Bay Area from Arizona that within a couple of years I would be regularly podcasting about the 49ers with one of my very good friends, that would be a significant life win. Yeah. And the fact that we've gotten 200 of these things in, uh, that's probably the amount of podcasts I tried to start prior to this one. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm having a hell of a time, and I I hope that uh, you are too, Chris. And I, I hope uh, I hope our listeners are as well. Also, want to shout out Tyler Chin, and all of the editors who have uh, edited and helped us put this pod together because it would sound like uh, shit, frankly, without them. So, <laughs> uh, shout out to to everybody behind the scenes who helps out as well. Totally. Let's, get to, let's get to some questions. Well, first I I want to drop a TV take real quick. Uh, okay. Have you watched the Cecil Hotel documentary on Netflix? I have not. 
All right, so it's just you're gonna like, have to roll solo on this one. Okay, that's fine. It's well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna loop you in here. Okay. Without you needing to know anything about about the the documentary. Okay. Um, spoiler alert for the Cecil Hotel documentary. If you have not watched it and you plan on doing so or don't want to know how it ends, it is a true crime documentary on Netflix. It's called Crime Scene Cecil Hotel, uh, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Uh, Fast forward like two or three minutes if you don't want to know how it ends. Okay, ready? Here you go. So, Chris, this is a true crime documentary about a girl from Canada who decides she's going to branch out and explore the world and go to California, start in San Diego and take a trip up the West Coast. And she like live blogs on Tumblr her whole experience. Then she disappears. And they have video of her like freaking out, not freaking out, but uh, that's that's too strong, but clearly acting strangely in an elevator. And then she leaves the elevator um, and is never seen again. It turns out they find her in the water tank on the ceiling of this hotel. And the documentary becomes about less about her disappearance and more about the internet sleuths who became obsessed and tried to find out what happened to her. And it turns out that, and this is my big problem with, with the documentary as a whole. I love true crime documentaries, especially when it's something very mysterious where it's, like, really hard to explain. Um, stuff that makes you kind of think. The The issue I have is it frames it as a true crime documentary where something bad happens. But it turns out that it was um, her mental health deteriorating and nobody helping her. And they just kind of gloss over that. And the hotel, the Cecil Hotel is in Skid Row in Los Angeles. And they just kind of gloss over the history of Skid Row and why it exists. Um, And the internet sleuths (laughs) who were picking apart every piece of information and putting together every single possible conspiracy theory about what happened. uh, They find out that the top of the water tank was open. So she opened it and climbed in and and drowned. And their whole theory got debunked because it turns out the tank was open and not closed. And the frustrating part to me was hearing these people talk about, oh, well, it had to be this. And, oh, just because the police said it was foul play it doesn't mean there wasn't any. And there, it's people going to the hotel to, to do investigations and, like, getting in the way of actual cops. And then to have their whole shit derailed by one piece of info that they didn't have. It was like they didn't have all the info. They drew their conclusions and then tried to piece in together, piece together info to reach the conclusion that they had already drawn in their heads. And the documentary doesn't get to that until there's, like, ten minutes left. Hmm. And the the doc to me is a about this 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 poor girl's mental health, which again they just gloss over and they're like, oh yeah, it turns out that you know she wasn't doing great. And the internet sleuths who, and you see this, you, it it, it almost ties back to the Forty ers <laughs> and I didn't, no, 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 I didn't mean to do this, but it's people on the internet who go, 
who don't have all the information, but they've concluded that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be the quarterback in 2021. So every bit of information they can find or make up or or twist to fit that conclusion just becomes fact to them. And that's what happens in this documentary. And it was so frustrating to watch as somebody who consumes the news a lot and as somebody who um, who who cares about the way people communicate. Well, and you write about news, right? Yeah. And just watching the watching these people who were so hardcore like wow this is the the police are lying there's a conspiracy and oh the hotel owners in on it and oh they ruined this guy's this one guy they ruined his life because they thought it was him and it turns out it wasn't and there was a ton of proof that it wasn't but they didn't l- want to look at it because they had convinced themselves it was it was this guy who it wasn't and the fact the documentary just at the end is like just these people going, oh, well, guess we were wrong. Oh, on to the next thing. It's like, no, man. Like, fix yourself. Yeah. Be, I, be accountable for what you put out there. It's a really frustrating, really, really frustrating documentary to watch. Because it says it's about one thing, but it should actually about be about three things. And it's about none of those four things. Yeah. And it's it's annoying. And I had asked on Twitter if somebody had a platform that I could get that take off. And nobody responded, so I'm doing it here on my own platform. So you use our 200th episode to yes to flesh that out. All right, let's get to you, some questions. Yeah, let's get to some questions. I haven't watched the show, but I'm with you just in general. Like being, you should watch it so we can text about it. Yeah. Uh, I also want to shout out Leonardo DS on Twitter. I joked last podcast that there's no way anybody had listened to all 199. And then I got a DM from Leonardo that said, hey, just listen to my 199th episode. <laughs> my man. That's awesome. Yeah, we love we love to see it. Hopefully yeah. it listens to 200. Yeah, shout out to everybody that's rocked with us for this yeah. whole time. Even and if I'm you've sure, missed a couple. Yeah, even if you missed a couple. But we started this, I think, sort of at the end of, what, it was the end of 2017? No, it was, it was right before the 20, it was the 2018 off season. Yeah, so after yeah, after the 2017 season, I think No, after the 2018 season. After the, going 2018 into the 2019. Season. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. It's Jimmy Ward's free agency year. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's a good way to remember it. Um but yeah, shout out to everybody that's rocked with us this whole time. It's um it's been fun. Yeah. So, yeah, let's take some questions. The first question, so there's a lot of really really good, really really fun questions here. Mhm. And we're just going to kind of grab them and go in order of of how they're listed underneath the tweet. <laughs> yeah. Except I'm pulling up Brett Gons to the – Brent Gon. Sorry, I can't read. Brent Gon mm-hmm. up to the top because it ties back to last episode. We talked a lot about the Food Network show Chopped. And we compared Jimmy Garoppolo to a chopped basket ingredient. I said he was like catfish. You said he was like chicken breast. I thought that was a great comparison. Brent drops in and says, if George Kittle was a Baskin ingredient on Chopped, what would he be? I'll grab this one first because your answer on chicken breast for Jimmy G was really, really good. And um, I think it's probably going to be better than my answer on Kittle. So I will go first. I think George Kittle is like duck. Duck. Yes. 
Interesting. Because, because here's the deal. Explain. I shall. So Duck is versatile in that you can cook it and plate it by itself. You can plate it in tacos. You can there's there's a million different ways you can use it. A million different things you can use it with. Um, and it is an elite like ingredient. Like when you get duck, it's like oh man, that's for the good chef. A good chef knows how to do duck. The problem is duck is fragile. And if you overcook duck a little bit, all of a sudden duck becomes a less effective ingredient. And I think we've seen that with George Kittle the last couple of years where he gets a little bit banged up and now all of a sudden he's missing a couple games and he plays, but he's playing through an injury and he's clearly not himself. And that's where it's super one – of the, one of the big mistakes people make on Chopped is they overcook the duck. And you don't want to do that because then it becomes gamey and chewy and that's gross. But duck, when done right, is an elite, elite ingredient. And that's why I have George Kittle as duck. <laughs> All right. I don't hate it. Um, it's very different from my ingredient, though. And, and like, like with the Jimmy thing, for me, like, that wasn't a creative ingredient um, to say that he's chicken breast. So the point was that chicken breast is fine. It's not, like, elite, but you can make some really awesome dishes with it if you pair it with the right stuff, right? Right. Um, for Kittle, I'm not going to be very creative – with my answer in this one either, but I think Kittle is a russet potato. <laughs> <laughs> and and go, go with me here. Okay, Potatoes I'm you can do in. a ton of different ways, right? They're good with a lot of different things, which sort of speaks to how versatile George Kittle is. You can make really awesome mashed potatoes. You can make french fries. You can make scallop potatoes. You can go... Um, like can... al gratin style like you can do a lot of different yeah. stuff with yeah. potatoes and if you're making a classic dish or running a classic offense which is the, the comparison we're trying to make here mm-hmm. potatoes can be very important and whether it's thanksgiving or christmas or i don't know tuesday like <laughs> there's always a place for potatoes and there's always a place for high tight high level tight end play right like it's not a specialty position. Like, George Kittle plays 95% of the snaps. Um, he's really good in the run as a blocker. He's really good as a pass catcher, obviously. And so, you know, he's not he's not the center course. He's not the steak. He's not the turkey or whatever else you eat potatoes with. But he's a damn good side dish. And you can, you can slather whatever made ingredient with mashed potatoes or, you know, throw fries in with any bite that you're eating and it's going to add to it. So that, that I think is, is, is a good one for Kittle. What I left out, which, which you cleverly put in is the aspect of maybe Kittle's injury history and maybe being a little fragile with a duck being sort of a, an mm-hmm. elegant ingredient. I, 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 I'm with you on that. Um, but I, the the potato doesn't factor that in. Yeah, no, I think you so have we're a nail, not though, 100% with it. There. Because because Kittle is an elite blocker. He's elite out of the slot. You can have him run routes in line. You can split him out wide if you want. You can line him up in the sweep. backfield. You can hit him on the jet sweep. I think I think you nailed it there because he does all those things really well. Um, and I I I I, I am a potato fan. So um. I think that's right. I think that's good. I think that's a better answer than duck. You can go baked potato. Oh, uh, we ju- I just had baked potato for dinner the other night. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So uh, Great question, shout out Brent. George Kittle. 
I don't know if he listens, but um, baked potato, chocolate basket ingredient. Uh, if he wants to, if he has a rebuttal and he wants to come on the pod and talk about it, um, he's more than welcome. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, Hugh Tomasello. I was actually, I did his pod, the Blow the Whistle podcast. Um, he and his buddy Luke. Uh, it's a very fun listen. Uh, he says, which of Kyle's bad pun tweets has made you the most upset? Chris, I think that one's directed at you. There isn't one because it <laughs> happens so often that like very few stick out. So I'm going to go the other way. Um, oh. And this has been mentioned before, but one that, and I don't know if we mentioned this on the pod or not. I think we might have at some point. But mm. it was the draft in 2019. Or no, yeah, 2019 draft. Um, it was day three on Saturday. And I'm sitting across from our buddy Nick Wagner, Tracy Sandler, 49ers fangirl, um, who's also been on the pod, friend of the show, was sitting to my left. And then everybody sort of erupts laughing um, at the same time. And I check Twitter and see Kyle sent a tweet that was just like, it wasn't, I mean, it was a funny tweet. It was a good tweet, but it just hit at the exact perfect moment because we were all incredibly like punchy and exhausted because the third day of the draft in like round six, when you've been, you know, in the media workroom for 10 hours the previous two days, and then you're just trying to like get through day three because, you know, you're writing so much and it's just such a long day. When you just see something and you're punching, like everybody just cracks up at the same time. This is Kyle's tweet. And what'd you say? It was um, Adam Schefter said. I, I found it. I found the tweet. Okay, why don't you read it? Adam Schefter tweeted, Josh Rosen is going to be a dolphin. And I quote tweeted it and said, that's going to make it way harder to be a quarterback. <laughs> and and it just, it just hit at the perfect <laughs> moment of all our punchiness that we all just completely lost it. And, like, Nick and Tracy and I were just, like, cracking up. Branch got into the mix. Um, I think Cohen was even there and, and laughing uh, at, at the tweet. Like, it was it was just, like, you, you had to be there, but it was one of those moments where somebody told the perfect joke at the perfect time. And, like, there were probably people who saw that and were like, this guy's an idiot. But, like, that's <laughs> that sort of epitomized Kyle's humor or epitomizes Kyle's humor. So that's that's that'll always be, like, the pun, the joke that that sticks out to me with Kyle. And, like, he has a lot of, like, you, you know, like, you have some that you probably would, would want to have back, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But you miss so, 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. So, so like, I've... I don't want to say I ignore all of your tweets, but like when I, I see a lot of those and I'm just like, okay, Kyle's doing his thing. But, the, but I remember that one because it was really good. Yeah. So I know I didn't answer the question, but frankly, I just don't remember all of his bad ones because I choose not to. Yeah. But that, that was fair. a really good one that hit, a, hit at the right moment and provided Nick, Tracy and I and other people in the media workroom a, a lot of laughs and we appreciated it. Good. That's what I'm here for is to yeah. try and make people laugh. And I and I hope people know if anybody listening follows me on Twitter and I do the dumb like like Eddie Vander does got released yesterday by the Texans and I said, Oh, Eddie Vander doesn't the bit is that it's stupid. I don't right. actually think this is a super creative joke. <laughs> like it the the it's part of the bit that it's You're dumb. here to bring so levity. Yeah, and I'm not, yeah, exactly. It's not like, oh, hey, this is an uproariously funny tweet. It's like, no, this is just kind of a little entertaining thing as somebody's scrolling because uh, there's a lot of doom on the internet these days. Right. 
And if my dumb pun can make you go, <laughs> for <laughs> half a second, then great. Yeah. Um, so thank you for going that route with it, because yeah. if you just had a list of, like, I actually looked it up, and here's some of the worst. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to do that. That's um, Dave Barry, a buddy of mine who's an avid listener of the pod, uh, has a few questions. So we will roll through all three of these. Okay. Top question is favorite bit on the podcast. I'll start. Okay, go for it. Beating the heat is a hundred percent my favorite bit. Yeah, I could I I could have guessed that. Yeah. It's a good one. It's gonna it's gonna start coming back because it is getting warm. Yeah, I know I can't wait. I'm I'm actually a little warm right now in my uh in my westward facing room without yeah. air conditioning. Um my favorite bit is uh is having I, I just need to see all the details of the contract before I make any judgments. Yeah, got it. That's got that's it. my favorite bit because the smart people on Twitter will see will see the you know the initial numbers reported of a new contract, and they'll always be sure to point out that you got to see the details before you can make any judgments. Yeah, five years, hundred and twenty-five million. Okay, well, hang on. <laughs> got to see the structure. Got to see the bonus payouts. You know, is, is it back loaded? Is it front loaded? <laughs> Are there roster bonuses? Um, or is it, you know, or is it all signing bonus? Like, how is this going to work? So that, that's my favorite bit. So whenever I say, whenever I say, got to see the structure before judging or or anything like that, I'm saying it tongue tongue in cheek. And so sometimes I realize I'm pretty monotone when I speak and not everybody knows when I'm being sarcastic, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's one of the, uh, that's one of the things that I'm usually pretty sarcastic about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it's especially funny when you do that, and it's like, oh, Tabor Pepper signed a two-year deal. <laughs> well, hang on. Let's yeah. get the structure. <laughs> River Craycraft re-signed for one year. Got to yeah, see, gotta gotta see, see the, the guarantees on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, his is, second, his yeah, second question it. is, favorite long-time listener? To avoid any issues among my my few friends who listen my dad my dad is my favorite longtime listener that's nice your dad is 1b yeah my dad my dad is uh is way up there too um how about I david think, i mean if david's been listening david's this great. long shout david, out to david yeah david david's the best um, um also i think i think nick wagner listens <laughs> nick wagner listens i don't I know like if he's that. listened to all 200 no no chance <laughs> he's got better things to do way better things to do um, favorite press box or media story David wraps up his tweet with. Um, there aren't, I don't have any good press box stories. Um, the press box is usually very sort of quiet with the exception of certain media members making jokes during games that make us all laugh and seem unprofessional, but. Or, uh, random Falcons front office people who come and sit in the three seats next to you and are loud as shit the whole game. Sorry, just to... So that's your favorite press box story? Love it. I I, I have a media story that I will tell after you're done. I have a media story, too. Um, Does your media story involve me? No. Oh, thank God. Okay. No, it does not. Um, And I'm not sure if I've told this one on the pod either. I might have, but it's it's just my favorite story, like, of all time. So in, in, in 2015... The 49ers, the week of Thanksgiving, I forget who they were playing, and obviously that was the Jim Tom Sula year, and they were way out of the playoffs. 
and it's mid-November, and I'm writing for a blog, and there's not really a whole lot of hard-hitting news out there that that we're all reporting on because a lot of people were very disinterested in the season and how it was going at that point. So I decide to write the very corny story, no pun intended, about what everyone's favorite Thanksgiving food is. So I like wanted to survey the locker room and uh, and see what everybody said and count up all the votes and see what was most popular. And I think it was it was dressing slash stuffing. Um, so anyway, we're at the end of a Jim Tom Sula press conference. I ask, so I, I think all of the hard-hitting journalism questions are, are done and over with. So I ask Jim Tom Sula what his favorite Thanksgiving food is, and he says something like, whatever my wife makes, or gives me a non-answer, which is pretty lame. But A non-answer um, on a question like that? Yeah, like not a great one. Jim, I, I don't know if you know this guy, but Jim Tom Sula was not great in uh, in press conferences. Did um, he attack every Thanksgiving <laughs> uh, dish with... Uh... Uh, bludgeon, bludgeon, bludgeon. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Yeah. Um. So, so typically how it goes is like if you're asking a lighthearted question, you want to keep it more towards the end of the presser when you think all of like the hard news is done. Right. So anyway, I ask a question. I think the presser's over. It's whatever. And the 49ers, uh, I forget what they 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 were very very far eliminated from the playoffs, or at least they they didn't have any serious. Um, the, any chances from a probability standpoint to make it. So <laughs> Eric Branch comes in, Eric Branch of the Chronicle, one of my favorite humans on the planet, comes in after my Thanksgiving softball when I think the press conference is over and asks Jim Tom Sula if he's worried about getting fired. <laughs> after <laughs> and we're all... Like, we all look at each other, and it's it's incredibly uncomfortable, but hilarious at the same time, because you can't just bust up laughing because of how just ridiculous it was to go from the biggest softball of softball questions to, like, the ultimate question, question you can ask an NFL head coach, like, are you worried about getting fired? Like, it went from zero to a thousand really quick. And we're all looking at each other, kind of like squirming in our chairs, being like, oh my god, what's what's this going to go like? And, and Jim Tomsula gave, you know, like a non-answer, like he typically would. But it was like, after we all got out of that press conference, we were all dying laughing. Because if you know anything about <laughs> Eric Branch, he always asks sort of the most stinging questions. And he always waits. He's like, he lies in the weeds during press conferences, and and he'll just wait and ask like the really tough question for whoever's answering the questions. And like, he's a great journalist and that's, you know, he, yes. that, that's, that's what he does. He's very good at what he does. He's good at asking questions. Some of them are a little long winded, but it was just so incredibly funny given the timing of it, given who Eric Branch is and how he does his job. And, and just like, it's so funny because he's the type of person that like, I, I'm not trying to, like, Branch is a guy, we're all sitting in the press conference, and he shows up, like, two minutes after it's supposed to start. But, like, we've we've all been there for, like, half an hour type thing. And yeah. he comes in and just throws haymakers. Like, and it, and he's just he's just a gem of a human, and it was a great moment, and it's probably my favorite media story since, since covering the 49ers on the beat. It's almost like you asked that question, and so he's like, oh, okay, good. I'm going to ask this one now. Like you did it yeah, he got softened up. We were playing good cop, bad cop is what we were doing. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
my mine was you were there for this one. And I wouldn't call this my favorite media story, but it's one of the few I have um, that I'm comfortable telling on the podcast. Um, it was the 2012 A's Fan Fest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've never covered a live event before. And I was sent there. I was interning at KHTK Sports 1140 in Sacramento. And I'd, I'd never been sent to, to do any kind of real work before. But my boss knew I was an A's fan, and she said, hey, do you want to cover A's Fan Fest? I was like, absolutely, I want to do that. She goes, great. Go down there, grab some audio, bring it back, and we can use it on the show. I can do that. I can record. I can upload the audio. It's easy. So I get there, and I think, I'm just going to fade into the background and let other people work, and that's going to be what it is. Well, Dallas Braden's in there talking, and at this point, Dallas Braden had a um was was doing the A's commercials on on I think it was CSN Comcast Sportsnet then, and he's doing the A's commercials then. Well, this photo on Twitter had gone around of him with this tattoo of Raleigh Fingers riding a unicorn over a rainbow, mm. I believe. And I'm sitting there in the media scrum with Dallas Braden. He's answering questions. He's doing his Dallas Braden thing. Very, very talkative guy. Very friendly guy. And I'm like, hey, he's super friendly. I'm going to ask my first ever press conference question. Not press conference, but like media scrum question. <laughs> and so I said, hey, uh, a lot's been made about this tattoo you got. Uh, can you show it to us? And... This dude goes, oh, you mean this one? And lifts up his sleeve to an empty arm. And looks me in the face and goes, it was fake. Uh, Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Or don't believe everything you see on the internet. And people laughed. And, like, he was laughing. Like, it wasn't like, hey, idiot. But as a 21-year-old... You're sitting there with Monty Poole and Susan Slusser and, like, John Shea and these dudes you've just grown up reading, men and women you've grown up reading. Yeah. Uh, Kate Longworth, was was it CSN then? She was she was there. Somebody I'd watched, watched for a while. Like, just a petrifying moment yeah. for me. And uh, you were there for it. I don't know if you remember, but um, I don't remember. You, were, you were for sure there. I was, yeah. I was, I was writing. I have a <laughs> Dallas Braden story, too. Oh, do you? Yeah, I used to intern for the Sacramento Rivercats, um, right. and I would write um, game stories for their for their website and features and stuff like that. So I was so Braden was it was like one of my first stories I ever written, and definitely one of my first times in the clubhouse. And uh, I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. I think knowing Dallas Braden, I think he's fine with it. But um, so I'm back in the clubhouse, and you know, like when guys are in the locker room. They're showering, they're getting dressed, they're doing whatever. Uh, I'm standing in the middle of the clubhouse. Brain had just come out of the showers, walking past me. He had just started a game, and, and I forget how it went, but I go, hey, Dallas, you know, whenever you're ready, can I, can I get you for, for a couple minutes? And he goes, yeah, sure. And he's just in his towel. I, I assumed he was going to walk past me, go to his locker room, get or go to his locker, get dressed, and come talk to me. He just goes, yeah, sure. Takes his towel off. So he's buck naked, throws huh. it towards his locker room, and says, let's go. And I'm like, 
Really? All right. <laughs> I'm I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably 19 or 20 at this point. And I'm like pretty petrified because this has never happened to me where somebody like just interviewing a grown man like while he's naked is just like a very uh, it doesn't happen a lot <laughs> different experience. And he ends up dropping all sorts of f bombs and you know swears a ton and I couldn't really use any of his quotes. Perfect. But that was like that was like oh this is this is a little bit different. I might have to get used to different sorts of personalities now that I'm covering professional sports and not, you know, junior college or Ohio right. State <laughs> sports. This is this is a little bit different. So, yeah, that's uh, Dallas Braden. Um, interesting cat. I'm glad we both have a Dallas Braden story. That's really funny. One more. One more. Uh, I know we got to get moving here, but one more. So I was covering Sac State football, and uh, they were supposed to be good the 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 year this was I forget it was 2010 maybe 2011 and they were supposed to be good well they finished below 500 and they had a chance to go to the playoff if they won their rivalry game against UC Davis and then they went out and just got pounded by Davis in the last week of the year and so we go into the little media room and the head coach is there and the head coach is a super gruff like you know just clear like I'm a football coach type of guy right and um he sits down questions go up and I go hey coach if you could use one word to describe this season what would you pick right because I had a whole story laid out in my head and how I was going to use the quote and stuff. And he just looks at me and kind of gives me this, like, what the F face and goes, what word would you use? And I froze, dude. Just pants down, like, <laughs> had nothing and just kind of mumbled some, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, and he just goes, yeah, exactly. See, the so what you do, because that's happened to me a few times. Yeah, you say, like, what it doesn't do matter think? what I think, what do you think? Like, right, I, no one cares what I think. I'm just writing right. the story. I can't quote myself. Right, but like, I didn't know I didn't know that at the time. I was just trying to get class credits, you know? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, damn, dude, I'm a student. Like, help yeah. me out a little. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's yeah. me being bad at asking people questions and pressers. Yeah. Um, Nick Ellert on Twitter, I'm guessing that's his name, at uh, Ellert Nick says, will this offseason be the craziest you ever covered? I don't want to speak for you. I've, I've not, I don't cover the team the way you cover the team, Chris. Uh, I'm not in the building every day and, you know, talking to people and stuff. But I'm going to guess no. That's going to be my guess, given um, th- this past offseason, coaching searches, things of that ilk. Yeah, 2015 was the craziest offseason. Yeah. Because that was post Harbaugh. Um, Jim Tom Sula was hired, which was a crazy thing <laughs> that happened in hindsight. Um, really nuts. Justin Smith retired. Patrick Willis retired. Uh, Bruce Miller's arrest. Like, it felt like all oh that happened. God, that in was like, in 2015. Yeah. Like, all that happened, it, it felt like in like a three day span. Wow. So it was just like all these stories. And it's like, well, the Niners are screwed. Well, the Niners are screwed. Well, their fullback <laughs> just went on a bender and, you know, is accused of assaulting an old man in a hotel room with his cane. Um, yeah. Or no, maybe that was no, that wasn't that wasn't that part of the Bruce Miller thing. That was later. That was right before the season started. Bruce Miller had the altercation or an argument in public with his girlfriend that 
um, led to the cops getting called and a, there was a broken cell phone and, and whatever. Um, but all of that stuff sort of happened around the same time in March, I remember. Um, so yeah, the 2015 offseason was crazy because that was sort of the fallout of the Jim Harbaugh thing. And that really, you know, if you didn't believe all of the Jim Harbaugh drama um, that there was, you know, you know, either whether, whether it was him or, you know, the front office or whatever, but just the fallout sort of indicated how crazy it all was. Right. Yeah. Um, just the mass exodus of players who left the team. Chris Borland retired in the 2015 off season. Oh, gosh, that's right. Um, and, and that, I feel like that happened right after Patrick Willis retired. So it was like Patrick Willis retired. Well, at least they got, you know, Navarro Bowman and Chris Borland. It was like, well, <laughs> Chris Borland retired. It's like, what? <laughs> after one year. And he was like, looked like the few, the, the next Zach Thomas. Yeah, he was um, really good. So yeah, I think 2015 offseason for me was was by far the craziest. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Um, Geo on Twitter asks, as much of a downgrade at left tackle as it would be, would you let Trent Williams walk if you could trade a third this year for Orlando Brown from the Ravens? Um... Potentially, but I think it's going to take a lot more than a third-round pick to get. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that there. If if that's if the Ravens would do that, then I think it's something the 49ers would explore. But I'm guessing the Ravens would start it at the 12th pick. Yeah, and I don't know how much of a fit he is because I think the Ravens' offense is much different from a blocking standpoint than the Niners. Yeah, I agree. A lot more power. Kyle Shanahan's obviously a zone, um, you know, outside zone guys. So I I don't know that it's a fit, but I do, you know that. The the whole idea that the 49ers need to consider alternatives at left tackle should Trent Williams go get, you know, $23 million a year from a team, um, you know, they need to do that. So that is something that should be a topic of conversation, but I don't know mm-hmm. if Orlando Brown is that guy. Yeah. Brian Rennick, he's a writer at 49ers Webstone, and he's a host of the Denim Dungeon podcast, asks, uh, I know that fullback Josh Hokett has been on the practice squad this past season. Is he the logical successor to Kyle Juszczyk if he leaves in free agency? Has there been any talk about possibly converting Warner to more of a fullback slash H-back role, and would they address the position in the draft? Chris, you had a good theory on this. I don't know if Hokett's that guy. Like He's on the practice squad, and we didn't see him practice uh, much. So I saw him practice during training camp, um, and I don't know that there was there was anything about him that said he was ready to become a primary fullback in the league. Yeah. Kyle Juszczyk's a pretty unique, unique guy. Um, 
But you had a good. I, I don't think Charlie Werner is is that. I'm I'm not sure how good he is at football. I mean, we'll see. But that's one of the fascinating questions of this offseason to me is, all right, Kyle Juszczyk leaves. What does? How does Kyle Shanahan right. respond? Like, does he have a player in mind? Right. Is do they it, draft Kyle Pitts if he's available? Do they bring back Jordan Reed and try to have a whole lot more two tight end sets? Do they make up for losing Kyle Juszczyk with the addition of another tight end and or more 11 personnel or I guess, uh, yeah, 11 personnel with three wide receivers? Like, is Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan going to have to go through a philosophical shift in what he does offensively if they don't bring back Kyle Juszczyk? I think that's a very relevant question. Um, but, it, you know, I think I think there's a reasonable chance Juszczyk comes back. Um, I know Josina Anderson reported that the two sides had been talking recently, and Ustek said that towards the end of the season that there had been conversation about, um, you know, a contract. And so I think the 49ers want to have him back, and I think they realize he's probably really hard to replace mm-hmm. because of how unique he is. Um, I don't think you can just go get another fullback and and run it back and feel as comfortable as you would running the same complex scheme um, with somebody else. So, you know, it went, it went with the cap floor being 180 million instead of 175 the first free agent i thought about when i heard that was kyle Juszczyk. yeah um because i think as you know you could there there's certainly a debate to be had like who's more valuable k1 williams or kyle Juszczyk. and obviously different sides of the ball different positions but in terms of like the money you're going to be spending i think mm-hmm. it's an interesting conversation but i think as good as as Kwan Williams is, probably one of the three or four best slot corners in the league. I think that position might be easier to replace than a fullback who's as unique as Juszczyk is. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I I do wonder if that added cap space is that makes it more likely that Juszczyk comes back because the 49ers might have a little bit more wiggle room when it comes to cap space. If he does walk, a name to know in the draft is Brevin Jordan. He's a tight end from the University of Miami, 6'3", 245, a super explosive athlete. And then when you watch him, I only watched a few minutes the other night, but he moves in a lot of the same ways that Kyle Juszczyk does um, and lines up in, in some of the same areas. So that's that's a name, you know, I don't know if Kyle Pitts falls to 12 and if that's the route they go. I think, I think Brevin Jordan's a player that could get on day two. Uh, who might be able to kind of fill that that void if Juszczyk does walk, just to kind of answer the question. Takes from the Lab by Kyle Madsen. Yeah, you know, I've just been grinding. I popped in some some University of Miami tape the other night, and I was just kind of cruising through it. So. That's also a good bit. Be, doing anything in the lab is a good bit. And popping in the tape. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you you, you downloaded some video. <laughs> you, you went to YouTube or you downloaded some video from Dropbox. You didn't pop in the tape. Yeah. Pop in the tape is some real football guy stuff. Like you oh, have an actual sure. clicker and you're running like an actual VCR type thing with a projector. Like that's real yeah. football stuff. Yeah. Now, anybody if who's, not not, who's telling it, you they, they watch film, if especially if it's on Twitter, like they're probably just watching video on their computer. It's not film. Grinding. Grinding. Uh, Sean Rooney, one of the best humans I know, uh, asks, favorite places to eat in Sacramento for both of you? Oof. That's a really tough answer. Sacramento is an underrated food city yeah i agree i'm gonna look up to see if my um 
I'm gonna I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick a spot that just pops into my head. There are so many good restaurants in Sacramento that uh, I, I'm certain that there's a couple I'm I'm leaving out in my mental Rolodex here. But one that it was a go-to and is a go-to is Flaming Grill. Okay. It is a burger joint that used to be they've they've moved, but it used to just be in this like residential area of Sacramento. And it was just like this hole-in-the-wall burger spot, all outdoor seating. Um, but they do these, uh, they do like ostrich burgers and like elk burgers and bison. And one of their appetizers is like fried python. They do the fried alligator. They wow. do all these exotic meats. They have bomb carne asada fries. It's just a really good like, they do, they do a liter of PBR for like $4, or at least they used to. Um, it was, it was one of the go-to places through the latter stages of my college career. So that's, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to go with, but that's not, that's not shaded any other of the incredible restaurants in SAC. So I'm really, so I used, I lived in Sacramento for a year. Obviously I write for the Sacramento Bee, but I work remotely. I live in Santa Clara. Um, but I, I did live in Sacramento for a year and I lived in Midtown and one of my favorite places, which I've apparently google says is permanently closed which really bums me out but um hot italian pizza and panini bar um, oh i never made it there like it they're on jay right so good it was like i'm not a pizza person i mean i like the taste of pizza but um my body prevents me from enjoying pizza as much as as i would like um but hot italian was incredible because it was like very artisanal and they had a bunch of really like cool and unique ingredients and pizza combinations. Um, and like, it was very sort of authentic Italian style. Mm. And it was definitely my favorite, one of my favorite spots in Sacramento. But yeah, like it's, I mean, I, I'm, I don't remember all the places I like to eat because frankly, I lived in Sacramento in 2000. God, it was 2012, mm. 2011 and 2012. So it was so long ago that, that I don't remember all of them, but hot Italian is one I remember. It was, it was really fun to go take, um, you know, friends and you could sort of like get two or three different pizzas depending on how many people you're with and share them and all, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to like all be eating the same thing and, and be able to talk about what you like and don't like about each pizza. So hot Italian for me, um, I think it might be a chain or they might be opening up other spots in other places, but, um, that was my favorite spot when I lived in SAC. Jeremy McCormick asks, and this is a great question. I'm going to steal for the radio show I produce at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Would you trade the number 12 overall pick, if you're the 49ers, would you trade the 12th overall pick to get Russell Wilson out of the division? Um, so, who? I mean, who plays quarterback in Seattle... I'm, After Wills. Like, is it, do do they trade for Deshaun Watson then? Or do they, like, try to trade for Dak no, Prescott or it. somebody, like, on the same level? I don't, I don't know. I don't. Okay. So, I'm, my my answer is, I don't if know. If you could eliminate, if you could make it so the Seahawks had a mediocre quarterback, would it be worth the 12th pick for the 49ers? Yeah, probably. But don't you want to, like be tested like battle tested in big games during the regular season to get you ready for the playoffs yeah I guess but th- like I would get if the 49ers are like we don't want to deal with Russell Wilson anymore <laughs> he's just he's he just there's a reason every Seahawks game is weird and it's because he can scramble around for 19 seconds and then throw a 
Rainmaker yeah. to DK Metcalf for six and change yeah. the whole complexion of a game. I don't think they'd do the 12th pick to do it, though. Like, I think they have enough team speed on defense that they can keep Wilson from really lighting them up. And uh, Pete Carroll is going to run the ball on first and second down anyways. So yeah. the head coach is already taking Russell Wilson out of the game that way. So Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I'm just of the mind, like... If you're competitive, you want to beat the best. Like you want to beat the best players, right? Like you want to have a yeah. rivalry that's good, and like you want to be sort of battle tested going into the playoffs. And I know the Patriots never really had an AFC West or an AFC East rival during all that time where they won the division every year. Um, and I and that probably did help them, but like I don't know. Like don't I, the Niners the Niners playing the Seahawks? It feels like a big game, and a lot of that is because mm-hmm. of how good Russell Wilson is. And I think. Winning in Seattle week 17 in 2019 was sort of like the accomplishment of the season that made you that that you'll think about. And and the New Orleans game was was similar in that, like, okay this is an elite team. Right. Because going to Seattle, arguably the toughest place to win in the league, beating that quarterback like that, that was a great way to earn the number one seed. And, of course, you'd want the road to be as easy as possible, but at the same time, you also want to be battle-tested and, like, put yourself in big games um, at least twice a year, and I think Russell Wilson does that. So, if I'm the Niners, you know, like, you look around the division, like, I think the best way to go about it is just embrace the fact that the other teams are, are going to be really good. Like, the Rams, sure. like, they're going to be really good. The Seahawks, as, as long as they have Russ, are always going to be in the mix, and then the Cardinals have potential to be good. Like so I no. think, yeah, I think you relish that, and you just try to make yourself as good as possible, and then right. in those six games, you're going to make yourself battle tested to get ready for the, for a playoff run. Yeah, yeah, I think you can be the favorites in the division with whatever you get at the twelfth pick, um, and not necessarily that's not necessarily the case if it's just Russell Wilson is gone yeah. from Seattle. Uh, still got a bunch left, and we're almost at the hour mark, so let's rip through these. Sure. Do you think the four this is from Jamie Torres? Do you think the 49ers could trade Eric Armstead and a third or fourth round pick for a second round pick? His contract is awful and he will never live up to it. He had he has had one good season since being with the Niners. I'll start. Um <laughs> no, because the reason if you, if there's a player that on your favorite team you think is a bad player, chances are that the team you're trying to trade him to will also think he's a bad player. Um, and they're not going to take that on and just give up a second-round pick to also take a third- or fourth-round pick. Um, right. So, no, I don't think they could do that. And I'm interested to see what Eric Armstead looks like when he doesn't um, have have backup defensive ends playing next to him and having to play defensive end because they don't have enough bodies at that spot. He's a, he's a good rotational player that can play um, – and not not rotational. He's a, he's a versatile player. He can play defensive end on 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 in base packages and then in sub packages. He can kick inside. He's a more effective pass rusher from the inside. So if the Niners can bolster their defensive end depth, I think it makes Eric Armstead a a better player. And I think he's a player the Niners would like to hold on to. Yeah, I don't think any team views Eric Armstead as a as an asset worth trading for. And I yeah. think the Forty ers just have to hope that they can get Nick Bosa back. Um, 
get a good defensive end on the other side, allow Eric Armstead to play inside, and then hope he can replicate his production from 2019 when he led the team in sacks on a really good defensive line. Um, But I think it's pretty clear that maybe Armstead needs elite talent around him to disrupt quarterbacks and allow him to, you know, to get a little, a, a few more cleanup sacks. Um, which I think, you know, I don't like thinking back to 2019, I think a lot of those sacks were mm-hmm. a result of Nick Bosa and D Ford getting to the quarterback, the quarterback stepping up, him being fortunate in that of the two guys lined up on the inside, DeForest Buckner is more likely to get a double team than Eric Armstead was. Um, and I think he just, he sort of maximized the situation he was in. And last year, the situation was, you know, Buckner's gone, Bosa's hurt, Ford's hurt, he has to play defensive end, and he's not nearly as good of a pass rusher as a defensive end, and you saw the dramatic drop in his sack numbers. So, you know, looking at his contract, he's going to have a $12.5 million cap hit this year, a $20 million cap hit in 2022, 21.7 in 23, 23.2 in 24, yep. and 2025 is basically a throwaway year um, that was just added on to, to prorate the signing bonus. But there's no guaranteed salary for Armstead after the coming season. So I think the 49ers are stuck with him for one more year, but they could potentially move on um, before 2022 if Armstead doesn't if, bounce back. If and I'd imagine me... if he does bounce back, maybe they rework his contract. Um, but I don't think Armstead's going to be making it or, or going to be counting $20 million against a cap for the 49ers in 2022, whether that means they restructure him after a good season or they get rid of him. If he doesn't live up to expectations, I think 2021 is a big year for Armstead. But no, I don't think another team is going to be willing to trade for him. I think that would be, frankly, a not like that wouldn't be a good decision for another team to trade a, a meaningful asset for Armstead to you know to pay him what he's due, um, you know, as a veteran. I think you're better off just trying to draft a good player. If you told me on. he got traded, I would I would I would think it was probably for like a conditional sixth. Yeah, Maybe like the seven. 49ers would have to attach a pretty significant yeah, cap hit to, to trade him and make uh, that palatable for another team. Chris Anchetta asks, Lynch has said he wants a solid backup behind Jimmy in case he gets hurt again. Is it realistic that they also draft a quarterback of the future and carry three QBs in a season with a lowered cap? Um, they always carry three QBs, so yes. Yeah, I, it's possible. I think they draft a quarterback early this year. It's and possible. then sign Beathard or Mullins or somebody like, as the QB3. I would be surprised, though, if they signed one of these high-profile potential backup free agents. Like, if I would be surprised if they signed Jacoby Brissett and drafted a quarterback in the first round. Right? Uh, like that, yeah, I don't think they draft a quarterback in the first round anyways. Yeah. I mean, there you know, there's a chance. There's I know Mel Kuyper talked about them trading up for Justin Fields or whatever. I, I It wouldn't shock me, but I'm, I would... I'm not expecting that, but yeah, same. Um, I think they either. I think the most likely scenario is they is they sign a veterans of the Andy Dalton, Jacoby Brissett ilk, mm-hmm. um, and then draft a quarterback day two or day three. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't sign a free agent, then it's probably likely that they draft a quarterback in like round two or trade back in round one or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're gonna add somebody to push Jimmy Garoppolo for the starting job, sort of in some, even if it's like unofficial, you know, yeah, like if it's Mac Jones, if he gets hurt, 
Yeah, if it's Matt, say they trade back and end up picking Matt, Mac Jones, like that to me would be a scenario where, all right, Garoppolo's our starter for 2021 still, but we're going to push him and we're going to have a much more viable insurance policy should he get hurt. Correct. That's what I think would probably happen. Jeffrey K. Lyles has a Niner question that says, which championship-era team from Young to Jimmy G squads are you most heartbroken didn't win the Super Bowl? And what's the best action movie of all time? Uh, The Kaepernick team not winning a Super Bowl was, um, was rough because... Uh, they were the best team in the league that year. Yeah, they definitely should have won that game. Yeah, and they were way, way better than the Ravens. I think so. the most heartbreaking one was 2011 because of the way it ended. The the Kyle Williams yeah. drop, drops, yeah. uh, you know, muff punts, two of them. That was really tough, and I think the 49ers would have, would have won the Super Bowl that year had they gotten there. I think so, too. Because um, that was the Patriots, right? Yes. Giants beat the Patriots in that game. Like the Niners, the thing I'll remember about the 2011 team, or or sort of that era of team, like if there was a team that spread you out and threw the ball a lot, the Niners were were the great antidote to that, right? Like they had an incredible defense, so they could withstand sort of those pass-heavy teams. And then they had the offense as the perfect complement that had a great offensive line with, and then Frank Gore, and they could run the ball, um, and just sort of, you know, it was a different style, obviously, than, than what works now. But I think that that 2011 team would have won the Super Bowl had they gotten there, because I think everybody would have been, you know, like so many underdogs win the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it would have been a scenario where they go into it, oh, like. You know, the, the Niners, first year of Jim Harbaugh, Tom Brady's been here a bunch of times, um, Brady knows how to do it, yada, yada, yada. But, like, I think the Niners would have slowed the Patriots offense to the point where, um, you know, they could have they could have played their brand and, and won the Super Bowl that year. So I think I think about Kyle Owens because Ted Ginn got hurt. Um, which cornerback got hurt in the Giants game? He got a concussion. Was it Terrell, Terrell Brown? Brown. Yeah, he got he got hurt, and then Tremaine Brock had to be thrown in, and it was clear that the Giants were picking on him. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll always I'll always think about that 2011 team. Like that was a team that had a really good chance to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and obviously the next year with Kaepernick in New Orleans, like that was they were clearly the best team in the league, playing at a really high level, and for whatever reason they just made a ton of mistakes in that Super Bowl. And, uh, and I think ultimately how many mistakes they played, how many mistakes they had and how poorly they played, I think that was a major reason that Jed York became disenchanted with Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Because the exactly. 49ers clearly should have won and were better. Uh, they were a better team than the Ravens, but they came out and played really poorly in that Super Bowl. Jeffrey uh, K. Lyles also wants to know what the best action movie of all time is. Mm-hmm. His Twitter handle is at Lyle's Movie Files, so I'm guessing this guy knows a lot about movies and has seen a lot of movies. I have not. I have uh, a good answer for this. Okay, I'll give mine first because my answer is probably not very good, but it is the action movie that I think I have seen the most times, 
and the one that, like, if it's on, I will stop and watch it. I don't know how good of a movie it is considered, but like I said, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Wanted with James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie and Morgan Freeman's in it, and they, I think Common is in it, and they bend bullets and all that jazz. It is a wild film, but I enjoy it quite a bit, so that's my answer. Um, for me, it's The Rock. Mm. Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, yeah. a lot of just incredible one-liners. Carla, the prom queen. Um, have you you've seen The Rock, right? I've not. I told you, you I have not seen The Rock, bro. I haven't seen any Godfather oh movies. My, what? I haven't. The list of movies I haven't seen would appall you. Please watch The Rock, and please bro, get back bro, to me as soon it as you can do. Get, it can get in line. Do you oh know? I'm, God. I'm no. While you're Sean Connery and Nick Cage whining, break into Alcatraz. Yeah, I know. I know the premise of The Rock. I've you you live it. in the Bay Area. Yeah, like it's it's a movie that right, here we go. It's a movie that you should. Here's see. a list of movies. Here's it. So I started this bit on a radio show I used to be on of of making a list of movies that I needed to watch. Here's ones I hadn't watched that I have since watched. Rocky through Rocky Four, Gladiator, The Matrix, Goodwill Hunting, Gangs of New York, phenomenal film by the way. Born Identity, that's the only Born movie I've seen. Uh, Scarface, I've never watched start to finish because the pieces I've seen have really bored me. Uh, Rocky Five, Creed, Fight Club, Godfather One and Two, Shawshank Redemption, Tombstone, Usual Suspect, Full Metal Jacket, Usual Suspects, Full Metal Jacket, Three Hundred, Bronx Tale, Goonies. Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, The Fugitive, True Romance, Reservoir Dogs, Groundhog Day, Rain Man, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Hunt for a Red October, Princess Bride. Oh, I've seen The Princess Bride. Bang, bang. Mark that one off the list. Wait, are you uh, are you listing movies you haven't seen? Correct. Yeah. Casino, oh Scarface, uh, The Bourne series outside of The Bourne Identity, Seven, Spaceballs, Donnie Darko, American Beauty, October Sky, Goodfellas, and now The Rock. You haven't seen Goodfellas? No, dog. You thought I was. You thought I was being. Oh you thought I was joking when I said the list of movies I haven't seen would appall you. Oh. I was being serious. And you actually have the list. I yes, I was just reading off of it. It's a oh Google sheet. <laughs> Please watch The Rock. Another one of my favorites, and this isn't a super famous movie, but it's Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and mm-hmm. uh, John Travolta, and is like the quintessential. Sort of like it felt like an action movie that had a low budget that really wanted to make it look like it had a high budget, but Excellent. it was another like a lot of really great one liners. Um, Howie Long's in the movie, he's one of John Travolta's <laughs> henchmen. Um, and John Travolta basically hijacks nuclear weapons and uh and basically demands a ransom, and it's all sort of out in the desert. It's a it's just a very classic 90s. I have a, a special place in my heart for, for really bad 90s action movies. And sure. Broken Arrow sort of epitomizes it. Yeah. But The Rock is actually a very, very enjoyable movie to watch. And I cannot believe you haven't seen it. And, the Expendables uh, is another should. great action film that I've seen. Love Say that again? Expend- the Expendables is another great action film that I've seen. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Scott Hansen. Asks, any update on Jamar Taylor's injury, and do you think the Niners will retain him? Uh, he tore no his ACL update. in November. 
Yeah, so so I can't imagine he's coming. They would make him a priority. Maybe if he's if he's healthy at some point over the summer to to practice, maybe. And otherwise, I think he's probably like a midseason free agent acquisition off the street if he's able to get himself back. Yeah, and healthy enough to play. But no, I'm not. I'm not expecting the 49ers to to bring if, back Jamar Taylor anytime if, soon, as well as he played. If if he was healthy. It may be a like, oh, that's a cheaper option than K1 Williams, and they can bring him in and have him compete for the starting job. But, uh, yeah, he, I, I don't think he's going to be ready for training camp. No. Tearing your ACL late in the season is not a good not a good development for your career, unfortunately. Uh, the great James Patrick asks, what's the <laughs> best pasta, or do you have a pasta ranking you can give me? I'm just going to – I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Jim Patrick's my editor at the Sacramento Bee. Yeah, I'm he, glad that yeah. I'm glad that uh, he's he's flying in here with, with the <laughs> Q. Uh, the best pasta is bow tie pasta. It's just – Oh. I, I will – I can't tell you why, but the – not to knock other pastas. Like, give me pasta. I'm going to eat it. But bow tie is my uh, pasta of choice. Um. My aunt, Aunt Susan Johnson, she lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, one of my favorite people on the planet, and she comes from an Italian family. My my uh, Italians, my mother's side of the family is Italian. Um, baked ziti. Her baked ziti mm. is one of my favorite meals I ever eat. I've probably eaten it like three or four times in my life, but it's always my favorite. And maybe that's because it always means like I'm around family and all that. But yeah, her baked ziti is incredible. My mom makes really good baked ziti. But um, when I think of pasta dishes I like, it's the homemade baked ziti from uh, from my Auntie Sue, I affectionately call her, Aunt Susan Johnson out in uh, Charlotte. She doesn't – I don't think she listens to the pod, but shout out to Auntie Sue regardless. Um, We will do this at some point when the world is open again. We will go to Arizona together. We will play golf, and we will go to Sal's Gilbert Pizza um, in Gilbert, Arizona. Which has uh, baked ziti pizza. That sounds great. Isn't there another pizza it place is, in the Phoenix area that's like that maybe. that always has like two hour lines? Uh, there's a there's a bunch of good pizza places, okay. but I, I don't know about all that. But yeah, it's baked ziti on a pizza. It's yeah, incredible. That sounds great. Cool. Uh, all right, let's do these last few rapid fire. Will sure. we know what the heck happened? This is from uh, L on Twitter. Will we know what the heck happened? To our long snapper, I'm assuming he means Kyle Nelson, cracking mid-game this past year. I think he just kind of got the yips. So he started thinking about something that was second nature. Whoa. And Wow. Roscoe weighing in. Hey. Roscoe, your oh, thoughts wow. on the 49ers long snapper situation? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll I think he just... Form. Yeah, yeah, I think he got the yips, like you mentioned. Yeah. Like, we when we had uh, Taylor Pepper on the, the podcast last week... Um, <laughs> He talked about long snapping and what goes into it and mentioned that it's sort of like a golf swing. And if anybody's played golf and has just been on the golf course or the driving range and just completely forgot how to hit a ball, like yeah. randomly happens to golfers, like I think that's sort of what happened. And yeah. um, and I, it sounded like Kyle Shanahan was not happy with the way he was snapping leading up to that. So Kyle Nelson had a bad game and the 49ers just decided to to make a yeah. change. And, I, you know, it's natural. Yeah. It, Golf is golf is a good like a good metaphor for a lot of things, and I Agreed. think long snapping is probably one of them. Could you see the trio of Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk being the best pass catching trio in the league this next year? 
I would have to look around the league pass catching trios, but potentially, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't, I don't think I would bet a lot of money on it, but it's. You might get good odds if you could get that action somewhere. If you came to me and from the future and said, I'm from February of 2022 and Kittle, Debo and Ayuk were the best pass catching trio in the league. Oh, okay. Like that makes sense. Um, the 49ers in 2019 had the second, the NFL's second highest scoring offense and fourth highest total offense. Yeah, dude. And were, that was with the ball. that was when they ranked 29th in attempts, um, in passing attempts. I mean, and they were really efficient. They were third in the league in in net yards per attempt, at 7.4. So. I think Brandon Ayuk is a, is an upgrade over Emmanuel Sanders. I think year three Debo Samuels should be an upgrade over rookie season Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and George Kittle, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be better or more productive than he was in 2019, but he should, if he's healthy, he should be a you know a, a similar version. Yep. So yeah, I, I think the 49ers have a chance to be a very good passing offense with, with those three guys, even if they keep Jimmy Garoppolo. And, like, it, it was interesting. I, I I brought up – I looked at the 49ers, you know, 2019 Pro Football Reference page just because I knew we were probably going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo at some point on this pod. I was like, oh, yeah, they were second in scoring and fourth in overall offense with Jimmy Garoppolo and a pretty good cast of weapons, like – you just look at that and and you would think, okay, you probably don't have to get rid of your quarterback. Yeah. Right. And and obviously a lot's happened since then. But like if if you're Kyle Shanahan and you think about that and sort of use that as potentially the baseline of what to expect, like I think the Forty ers could have a top five offense. Like it yeah, wouldn't surprise me if they that. had a top five offense. Um, but I def but you know I I think it could it could definitely happen if things break right and everybody stays healthy and. You know, they improve the offensive line. Like, I think that's sort of the ceiling here, which is why I think the 49ers are not super eager to to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo like a lot of other people are. 49ers for Life wants to know, who are your dark horse slash sneaky good slash diamonds in the rough for the upcoming draft? Uh, I have none. Check uh, check okay. back in the coming weeks, though, because I'm going to spend don't... some time in the lab watching film. I don't, and uh, and I will have answers for you. But right now, it's still February 25th, and we have free agency to get through before we can even, before I can even think about the draft. Uh, That's okay, just me I've personally. Got... I know I should like have a really, I, I should have like a big board at this point, but I just, I just haven't gotten there yet. Dude, you can just go to somebody <laughs> else's big board, switch around some names, and call it yours. That's You're true. That's true. Saves you so much lab time. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin St. Juiced, 6'3", 205, cornerback out of the University of Minnesota. Moves pretty well for a big guy. I've watched a little bit of him because he had a meeting with the 49ers. And then a guy uh, running back out of Oregon State. And this is where it's like, I don't know where if these guys are going to be considered dark horses or if they're like early day two picks. Uh, but uh, St. Juiced is a is a guy that, that I've watched a little and I like. And then Jamar Jefferson, the running back out of Oregon State. Uh, I feel like he would fit really well in Kyle Shanahan's offense in the in the bit I've watched. He runs like a grizzly bear driving a tank, and he's he a lot of fun. runs like a grizzly bear driving a tank. Yeah, dude, just go with it. Okay. Rich Madrid asks, 200? <laughs> yeah, 200. 200. Uh, 
Gold Blooded at Gold Blooded forty eight. Um, what are some things people don't know about working a beat for a professional sports team? Um, I feel like we're at the hour fifteen minute mark, so I know you could answer this question for an hour, Chris, because we yeah. talk about it a lot. Give us the one, like, the one thing that public perception is you think the most off about. It's a hard job because, I, I so one thing I, I didn't, I guess I should have had a better understanding of, but didn't, is just you're going to piss a lot of people off on the internet. And a lot of people are going to like your stuff, but you're not going to hear about it. So you have to learn how to adjust with waves of negativity while the positivity is there, but it's not as apparent, right? So, like, if you just, if you do your work, and, like, people tell me, like, people have told me I'm a homer and also that I'm a hater. And, like, I've been called a shill and the other side of it, you know? So it's like... So when you hear both sides of like when you when you get um, criticisms coming from both sides like that, you feel like okay, I must be doing something right because the job is to be objective, right? Um, yes. But I think it. So many people want. I think the what what happens a lot of times is the audience will develop opinions, and then only want to read things that coincide with their opinions right even if what i'm reporting after talking to players disagrees with those opinions like they're not people are not often willing to change their minds on subjects Mm -hmm. which is something that you learn and you have to deal with and you just have to get over the fact that covering the nfl covering a high profile team there are going to be people that don't agree with you and coming up like when i first started i would get really upset if people like on Twitter or comment sections or emails or whatever had bad things to say about my work because I work so hard and like, this is what I'm doing and all of my work is public. Like that, that's one of the interesting things about the job is all of our work, the final product, the stories we put out, they're all public. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? We're not working in a warehouse somewhere where if we screw up, nobody knows anything. It's like if we, if you mail it in and you write a bad story or you write something that sucks, like everybody sees it. Thousands and thousands of people see it. So you really have to just be on it all the time when it comes to stuff that you're writing. Um, and that can be, that can, it can be tough to deal with when you're, when the, the response is so varied, right? Like you can put, you could put a ton of time into a story, think you did something really well people come in and say, oh, this sucks, you're just a shill, whatever. Other people can say, wow, this is really insightful, that's great. And you want to take the criticism and you want to apply it to what you do to make yourself better, but you also don't want to drown in it because you're going to feel like, because the internet can be such a negative place that, like, that, you know, it's not healthy to just look at all the negative stuff. And there's so much of what what we see on the internet is negative that I think it's really important for people to realize that what happens on the internet is not an accurate depiction of the general population because most people read stuff. And if they like it, they're not going to tell you that they like it on the internet. Like you, you'll get a couple like nice words and stuff, 
But people will read it and be like, oh, I agree with that. And then they'll put the newspaper down or they'll close their phone or whatever and they'll move about their day. The vocal people are the people who are who are who dislike your work. And yeah. so you have to learn to deal with the negativity that comes with it and understand that the negativity is from a vocal minority. If you're doing your job right, like the negativity is from a vocal minority and you need to understand that what you see on the internet is not how the entire reading population who's absorbing your work feels about your work. And so that's something that um, took me a little bit of time to, to figure out because the NFL is such a hot button thing and people are so passionate about it. Like if people disagree with you on the internet, you just can't worry about it because the internet, what people say on the internet ultimately doesn't really matter. It's, you just have to be comfortable with the fact that you're putting as much work in as you can. And mm -hmm. if you're proud of the work, be proud of the work and don't worry about what people say about it. Because if it's controversial, people are going to be pissed. Um, if it's flowery, some people are going to be pissed because they think you're being too flowery. Um, but it's, there's always sort of what I come back to is like, if I'm getting it from both sides, people that think I'm being too harsh or people that think I'm being too nice then I know I'm I'm somewhere where I should be in terms of like being down the middle in terms of objectivity yeah. and telling the story the way it needs to be told more or less. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good answer. And there's never, there's never, I have a, I have a thing I want to say on this on, on a, on a separate note, but on that note, there's, <laughs> there's no getting used to somebody being like, you suck. <laughs> yeah. No matter how confident you are, like there's, you wake up in the morning, first thing I do is I roll over on Twitter and I so reply to something I wrote that's like, "Way to go, idiot!" Great, <laughs> happy, happy Tuesday. Right. Um, it's one of the few jobs where it, it's it like, used... if you have a bad day, it's in front of a lot of people. Yeah. You can't just yeah. have a bad day <laughs> and no one cares, but your boss or whatever. It's like if you have a bad day in this job, and it's very apparent on the internet, then like it's gonna stick with you for a while. Yeah. So you just gotta you just gotta deal with. But that's it. why it's a, but that's also part of why it's a great job because despite all that, like it's still worth it. It's, it's a great job. job. I, we have one the of best the, jobs in the world. In one opinion. of the things I am I am not a beat writer. I'm not on the beat, but uh, I I am friends with beat writers and I know a lot of humble, beat writers. Humble brick. Um, <laughs> I have Eric Branch's number in my phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um. Especially in Sacramento, I worked at the Kings flagship station, and you get to talking to people who are around the team and stuff. The thing that I learned about beat writers that I did not know growing up and, and really kind of through college and, and toward the end of college is how much how much stuff beat writers know that they don't talk about or report or, like, that was wild to me because oh yeah as a 15 16 year old you know reading the paper i assume that everything a beat writer hears goes into a story like why would you not that's your job you hear a thing you write a story but that's not how it works there's relationship building there's trust building there's source cultivating like it's a whole thing i don't want to dive in but we're not handing out free journalism uh degrees here but <laughs> but i was I'm just amazed at how often somebody's like, oh, yeah, this thing, like, you know, can't report it, only heard it from one person or, you know, heard this on background or whatever. Just that the amount of information that's out there that just never gets to 
Twitter or a newspaper or whatever. If journalists tweeted out everything that they heard, it would be a complete free-for-all on the internet. Like, it's already bad, right? Like, it's already bad with people sort of tweeting everything they hear and it being sourced yeah. as as accurate reporting and stuff like that. But if beat writers tweeted every little thing that they were told from agents, from media people, it from actual sources, it would be a disaster. And there would be all sorts of crazy stuff on the internet. <laughs> but the difference is, to report something credibly, like, you need to flesh it out. You need to be a thousand percent sure that it's true, mm-hmm. or else your credibility is on the line, right? So, like, for me to report a story, if I if I hear something, like, I'll never report something unless it's from, like, I'll never report something that's single-sourced if it's big news unless I get it directly from, like, people who I know unequivocally would not be wrong. And if you look at the 49ers power structure, there are probably two or three people, maybe four, who would unequivocally work as singles – who would unequivocally work as sources for big stories if you're just writing, like, single-source stories. Right. But anybody – Not all sources are equal. Right, exactly. In the and there, 49ers organization. Right, and there there are people within the organization that will tell you things, and you have to wonder that, you know, do do they have a motive to get this thing out? Right. Um, is what they're telling me accurate, or are they just trying to gain leverage over somebody else? There's a whole vetting process you have to go through as a journalist before you report something. And for me, it's like for for the biggest stories, and the, and it's it's not only just like an ethics thing for all journalists, but it's it's a standard for my newspaper, right? Like if there's a massive story and I only have one person saying it, who's not one of those three or four people way atop the organization who I would feel totally comfortable with reporting what they say. If I Mm -hmm. hear something, I'll dig around on it. But if I don't get other sources confirming it, I'm not going to report it. But if I, you know, if a scout, then this is just totally theoretical. This, this has not happened. So don't take this as a report. But if somebody tells me within the organization, yeah, Kyle Shanahan loves Sam Darnold. Like, right. if it's not Kyle Shanahan or the GM or Paragmarate or Jed York or the team president or whatever, somebody way up there, I'm going to dig around. I'm going to utilize that information that I have from whoever my initial source was and then see if I can get somebody else to confirm that. And then I'm going to do that again with somebody else to get a third source for it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the which is like the the worst thing you can be as a journalist is wrong, right? So it's yes. like even if other people beat you to stories, like I'm not worried about that because your whole thing it's different than than well it's different than like playing sports, winning and losing, like. You're not playing not to lose in sports, but like in journalism, your 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 goal is to just not be wrong, right. right? So like your credibility is all you have. Even if even if you're not the first person to report a story, you're not going to lose if you don't report it first because you're not going to be wrong. And there have been plenty of things that I've heard where it's like, man, I w- really wish I could report this. I really wish other sources would confirm this story for right. me. So like, anyway, um, yeah, that's my spiel on 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 journalism ethics and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's a hard job, especially I'm glad when you're I said to break we, news. I'm glad I said to make it quick. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but I, I you know, hopefully the the readers are interested. And I mean like Listeners. you got me drinking now, so like if I'm I'm normally not very talkative, but you throw a few beers in me, I I will talk. 
I feel like a turning point in our friendship was when we did a periscope outside a random Santa Clara bar. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We had a fan come up to us and we're like, we we're on Twitter periscoping. Um, and somebody came up to us and started talking really bad about the owner. And it's like, Oh, I, I cover the team. I don't know if I could really have this on my feed. <laughs> like, so yeah. like you and I were already pretty, you know, inebriated at that point. Yeah. And it was very, it was much earlier in our careers. Um, but yeah, yeah that was, that was a fun, a fun moment. It was a great time. Uh, okay. Tons of good questions. This podcast is taken forever, but it's our 200th one. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I had fun doing this. I'm almost done with my scotch. <laughs> All right. Before we go, is Russell Wilson going to be the Seahawks quarterback in 2021? Yes. yes or yes, no? Yes. Okay. I agree. Okay. We can talk about that next week. Or yeah, we'll we'll week. dive we'll dive further into it. But I I just yeah I don't I don't think he's he's going anywhere. Same. All right. Good talk. I'll that watch episode 200. I think that was good. I hope so. I hope we get to do 200 more. Yeah, shout out to all the listeners. Um, I hope at least one is from Las Vegas. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah, shout out to all the listeners. Everybody supporting. It's been really great. And um, we hope to continue giving you guys these podcasts because um, sometimes I'm not always in the mood to pod, but it's always like after I do it, I'm always glad I did. Same. You know, so it's uh, it's fun. And and I appreciate you being, being so fun to work with and being good at producing and finding guests and um hosting the pod you took over hosting duties and i think it's been way better than me hosting so shout out to you i appreciate you for all the work that you put into the pod yeah thanks man yeah. you too it's uh it's a great it's a great time i wouldn't do it if it wasn't <laughs> all right let's get out of here all right goodbye everybody subscribe rate review if you hadn't we're 200 in if you haven't subscribed already what are you doing okay goodbye Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.